Welcome to the greatest discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of the greatest generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Wow. We've already rebooted our our implants before <laughs> recording today. A lot yeah. of implant problems. It's it's knocked us out a couple of times. Uh, <laughs> we've had some silicone seepage into our bodies, which is no good, but I mean all kinds of implants do that. I I thought when I moved to LA I'd be moving to where the internet waters ran clear and clean. <laughs> No. Instead, it's been nothing but trouble. A a very helpful uh, Spectrum Internet employee emailed me in the Shimoda email box. I don't know if you saw that. I noticed that. I uh, did. Uh, did anything come of that? I didn't know quite how to treat it because this uh, this person slid into my into my email box and was like, "Hey, I've worked for Spectrum for nineteen years or whatever. Is there anything I can do?" And I read that sentence over and over again and <laughs> i struck through every every shitty remark that i that i had <laughs> teed up until i finally got to something along the lines of i don't know is there anything you can do <laughs> <laughs> i understand like i've i've got a great amount of empathy for people who work for uh, companies with reputations you know like in in some ways like God, does anyone have anything good to say about big internet company? You know, right. no one does. Yeah, th- there's not there's not an internet provider out there that gets glowing reviews from its customers. Right. So I, on the one hand, I'm very appreciative that anyone would reach out to me, thus saving me the hour in the phone tree ball kicking machine. Uh, but I haven't heard back, so I don't know. <laughs> uh, so things remain as they are. I one time for a video job worked with our friend Shit Food Blogger, who is I love Shit Food Blogger. He's one of the co-hosts of Carb Face for Radio, a uh, a food podcast that's mostly about like different kinds of high chew candies, mm. from what I can tell. It's a high chew uh, enthusiast show. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we went to a call center in Las Vegas that he was doing some work with uh and this was specifically a call center that you call if you want to shut your cable and they these are employees who are basically there to like if you are fully shutting down service for some reason like take that undertake that process but also to like try and persuade you to only shut down what you don't want it was like this very weird experience because I like I, my knee jerk reaction to that is like this is a fucked up thing these people are being asked to do and also it's fucked up to ask people to do it because all like all day long they must be getting calls from you know dissatisfied customers who are angry and <laughs> trying to like talk them into like a measured response to that anger. It's so perfectly now that. You know, instead of making the bad thing better, it's it's about convincing people to uh, to not care or whatever, yeah. you know? 
What I will say, though, is that like everybody I met that worked there was like incredibly pleasant. And I bet that really blew my mind. Like I, I, they may have to like filter for pleasant when they hire people for that job. I don't doubt that for a second. I bet I bet they're champs, all of them. Yeah. It just didn't seem to be beating any of them down in a way that uh, I, I really appreciated. I don't know. I don't know if that was shit food bloggers efforts or their their own temperaments or what, but uh, it, it was a very like it was a very interesting experience and a very useful reminder that like the person that you reach when you call customer service hotline is a person. Oh, yeah. I take my server guilt everywhere with me in every interaction <laughs> with a with a customer service representative. I'm always, oh, I'm I'm eating so much shit. Like the shit is just pouring out of the phone into my ear, and I'm just I'm just lapping it up, Ben. I'll I'll I've never sli- I've never snapped on a phone person, and I doubt I ever will. You attract more bees with honey, and I think that like it it really makes a difference when you're talking to one of those. Uh, people that you know if you have a complaint with a company to frame it in a way of this is not your fault (laughs) this is a a frustrating thing that i am trying to find a solution for i'm hoping you can help me find that solution people in those circumstances don't understand who really has the power like it's it's not person with complaint that has the power no not by a long shot no get it get it fixed (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> person with a complaint i had a i had a broken headphone the other day and i called the headphone manufacturer and i uh explained the problem and they were quite happy to help me with it and i think it was just because i didn't like come with the like how could you have you personally have done this shitty headphone you know we're all in this shit together that's that's yeah. really it Hey, uh, did your shitty headphone fall into your ear canal? Is that why you had to get all that goo scraped out? <laughs> you you told me a terrible story yesterday about that. Yeah, I woke up the the other night in the middle of the night with ringing in my ears, and I happened to have a doctor's appointment. And I I mentioned this to the doctor, and he was like, "Oh God, that's that's very unusual. I've never heard of that specific symptom. Like it woke you up." I was like, yeah, it like woke me up in the middle of the night that my ear was ringing, and uh, they had to. It was, I had impacted earwax. I'm, I'm not proud of that fact. Wow. But uh, they flushed me out, and uh, <laughs> that's supposed to feel great, right? Yeah, I mean, like it. It feels a lot like that feeling of getting a haircut after you're long overdue, where you're just like, I can't believe how much lighter I feel. <laughs> you know, uh, I was thinking about this, and. I have not had a great week, and I think a a major contribution to that feeling has been the pokies going right into my eyes all the time, <laughs> all the time, just daggers. What's what's poking your eyes? My hair, my like I'm, oh. I'm, I'm using my I'm using my studio headphones as kind of a headband to hold it back. Wow! Let me, let me tell you, I'll, I'll take them off. You've got full mall bangs right now. <laughs> and it clarified something for me that goes all the way back to like middle school and high school, and that is like the uh, the angsty kids, the angsty bros, always had the longer hair. And guess what that hair was doing? That hair was daggering into their eyes, constantly needing them to to 
to pull it out, to, to wipe it away. It was subconsciously adding to the emotionalness. It really was. And then they misattribute that all to something their girlfriend said and write a song about it. It's, it's less about the dark clothing and the eyeliner and more, I think, about your eyes being poked 20 times a minute <laughs> by hair daggers. I would say that the number one beneficiary of emo, I'm sure there are lots of beneficiaries of emo, but the number one beneficiary of, of emo as a, as a cultural phenomenon is definitely Will Shorts, the crossword puzzle editor for the New York Times. Yeah. Emo is in the New York Times crossword puzzle three or four times a week, I feel like. Wow. They got a three-letter word. It's like a nonsense word. Yeah. Gotta gotta pack the puzzle with vowels, you know? Yeah. Will Shorts thanks his lucky stars every time he remembers that emo exists. I'm a, I'm a famously stone-hearted man. I mean, uh, emo music <laughs> for a while was the only thing that uh, put any temperature to that thing. <laughs> Make me feel something. Uh, you know, burners are something that could put a temperature to another beloved Will Shorts crossword puzzle world. Eels. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have so many questions about today's Lower Decks episode. I hope that together, Ben, uh, we will be suspended above the answers. <laughs> And if we're lucky, dropped into those answers. <laughs> right. Uh, that would be how it goes for us as we talk about uh, Lower Deck Season 1, Episode 8, Veritas. I love the Harvard alumni comedy writers working the Latin motto of their alma mater into yeah. an episode of Lower Decks. Gotta do it. You're <laughs> obligated at that point. I think you get a, you get a break on your student loans. You don't get a break, but they do stop calling you for like endowment donations right. for two years. Our cold open is basically uh, our four lower Dexers being thrown into a prison or a dungeon or according to Tendi, an ice prison, a prison for which she's being punished for taking too much ice. And they don't know why. We don't get any information in the in the episode about what happened immediately before this, if they were beamed to Ketuvian Prime, if they were visiting Ketuvian Prime and suddenly were rounded up and thrown in here. Right. If they, you know, they get no context. In fact, they are begging their captors for context as we go to a uh, cold open break. That's not what that's called. It's called opening credits. <laughs> I like cold open break better. I guess that's what it's called from here on in. Oh, shit. <laughs> We're never going to remember that. It feels like this is a an episode aimed directly at Star Trek VI in a lot of ways. And, and we kick it right off with that rise into a spotlight and the sound of pounding. You never like to hear in any kind of uh, alien courtroom scene. The pounds are bad news. Yeah, the pounds couldn't be a worse sign. Um, right. Yeah, this is an elevator. And when we come back from our cold open break, is that what I called it? I'm, I already forget. <laughs> You've forgotten it because it's so stupid. And, and I think it's your mind like willing you to do it. 
Yeah, it's like don't don't make that canon. That would be dumb. <laughs> Uh, we are, we're put on a platform and we're raised into proximity to Kurtwood Smith, uh, yeah. the voice of our prosecutor or our supposed prosecutor here. You know, the walls have lots of alien figures sitting in observation boxes, but they're all backlit with like creepy red light. There's lots of spikes and, you know, spotlights. The architecture is very... It was very brutalist and uh, and spooky, I would say. Yeah, but uh, really great sight lines here. This is what I like about going to certain venues that are more vertical than mm. uh, than horizontal. You know, everyone gets a good look. I think that's yeah. good. They are being told that they need to begin to testify into the Horn of Kandar, and uh, he does let slip. Tell us of those wondrous events! Okay. Right. And I feel like if they had latched on to that language, maybe they would have, have realized sooner. But I didn't I didn't notice the phrase at all the first time I watched the episode. Definitely not. And this is one of those episodes that rewards a second watch for that reason. Yeah, it's like uh it's like watching uh the sixth sense for a second time, you know? Yeah. You find out Mariner's been dead the entire time. <laughs> Uh, the, you must always speak the truth into the horn of Kandar. Uh, and I think one of the biggest laughs I got out of this episode was Rutherford saying, uh, how happy he was to be there into the horn. <laughs> <laughs> that is just you believe fun. Him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a specific date in question that this, uh, this character wants to know about. I, I think we come to know him as Imperium Magistrate Klar, but I, I don't know if we know his name early in the episode. You know, like, this is a, this is going to be an episode told in flashbacks, and, uh, and, and we start in the repair bay on the Cerritos, where uh, all four of them are uh, servicing a pretty beat-up-looking shuttlecraft, hanging out, talking about a bunch of bullshit, Talking about whether Khan or Roga Daynar is a bigger badass, which is a pretty fun argument, actually. Did you have a take on this, Adam? I mean, Khan's is the superior intellect and the superior chest. According to his friends. Roga Daynar's cool. I uh, had the subtitles on, as I, as I do when I'm watching the show, and I really loved that Thick Thick Chest had double c's in both <laughs> in both of the thicks i think wow. that's great that's awesome yeah um yeah they must uh i, I always wonder how that works because like when I, th I think that the subtitles on this show are outsourced to wgbh which does a lot of subtitling for television shows but you know they must send them the script right for a long time i had the wgbh tone as my ringtone mm-hmm <laughs> Love that sound. Yeah. Very satisfying. Except I never have my phone on, on anything but vibrate. So, like, it's just a secret that makes me happy. Yeah. What I'm trying to say is that the, like, is, is that they're nailing the, the spellings of shit in these subtitles in a way that I really appreciate. In a way that feels collaborative. Like, I have, there can't be a case where this show is submitted for subtitling and they just know to do it with two right. C's, right? 
I feel like there's a there's a note along with the episode that's like, hey, uh, at eight minutes or whatever, we're going with the double C spelling of thick, yeah. thick. <laughs> I kind of think Roga Danar might win, to be honest, because Khan was was a he had the superior intellect and he was, you know, genetically engineered to to, you know, be a despotic ruler of Earth or something. But Roga Danar was a super soldier. I think he. I think that was the episode where we came up with the bit about Riker's fetish being consent. I mean, Rogadenar could still be out there. I mean, he was alive at the end of the episode. They gave him to the uh, Angosians to deal with. Right. And this uh, is a theory that could be tested. Right. What was the uh, what was the Rocky movie where he, they like they did like a a simulation of him fighting a guy? In, in a video game on ESPN or something? Well, I think you're talking about uh, Rocky Balboa. Yeah. the uh, I believe that's the sixth Rocky movie. I say run this in the holodeck. Let's see. Let's see who wins. Yeah. I like that very much. That's what the holodeck is for. That's a season two episode right there. Rutherford fucked up, Ben. He fucked up really bad. He did. Uh, by messing around with the red alert speakers because... Uh, Everything seems very chill until they are suddenly very not. Uh, they realize they haven't been hearing Red Alert, and now they're late in getting to their stations. Yeah. Sadly, this does dash our theory that they're beaming the pee and the poo out of people, and they don't need to go to the bathroom. Because Tendi goes to pee, and when she opens the door, uh, the, the rest of the ship is in red alert chaos. And right. she explains this to her three friends, and they're like, what are you talking about? There's definitely no red alert. We would know. 24th century peeing like a bunch of common old people. <laughs> I, thought, I thought we were past that. Is Rutherford bad at his job? I thought he was good at his job. I think the evidence is mounting. That, uh, that he is very bad, actually. He's not just bad at his job. He's, like, destructively bad. Yeah, destructively incompetent. You can be bad at your job and not have those consequences splash on a bunch of other people. But so often, that's the kind that he does. Boehm's and Mariner have bridge duty. So the red alert means that they need to get up to the bridge. A source of great anxiety for Boehm's, who knows that... He's going to be, again, without context. He's going to be up on the bridge and he's not going to know what's going on and everyone's going to know he doesn't know what's going on. Mariner doesn't give a shit about this kind of thing, tries to calm him down, but he basically has actually showing up to his presentation in history class nightmare where he literally is standing there in his underpants. That's uh, an elegant comparison Ben, this is like uh, this is like one person being prepared for improv and one person not. You're either comfortable yeah. uh, thinking and answering on the fly, or you aren't. And Boims has never been that kind of person. So when Mariner is asked by Freeman for options of what to do about this insect ship in front of them and the diplomatic disaster that's unfolding. Uh, as they get to their stations, Mariner is able to uh, make up an answer that satisfies her captain, and Boims is just not. And Boims is given opportunity after opportunity to do it, 
much to the consternation of the rest of the bridge crew, which I think is the best part. Is he f***ing serious? That was the wrong answer! I'm in 84. How the fuck is there a Crazy Ivan reference in this scene? How is that possible? I love it. How were we not consulted? <laughs> I, I think our project was consulted. I don't think we were. Wow. Shit. That's a hell of an accusation, Adam. I'm not accusing anyone of anything. <laughs> I, I seek peaceful coexistence. This pissy bug alien is cranky because he gave the captain a map and the captain said, thank you. And this, this alien felt that being thanked was an act of aggression. And I wondered if this was a universal translator issue. Hmm. Seems like it could be that kind of thing, but nobody explores that as a area of inquiry on the bridge. I mean, like the captain says, like, I think maybe gratitude means different things in your culture, but there's got to be a way to solve for <laughs> that, right? Anyways, I just wanted the episode to pull over here and like have them have some conferences and work that out. <laughs> That's the TNG fan in me. Star Trek is really about uh, like infinite politeness and infinite combinations, I guess, <laughs> and how easy it is to to get those things wrong. Ben, I don't know if you know this, but uh, but that insect guy Twerk, played by Kenneth Mitchell. I did know that. Yeah, it was fun to see his name in the credits. Yeah, he's usually under a, a lot of loaf, but. As an insect? Give me a break! What a dream job for Kenneth Mitchell to uh, <laughs> to keep his human face. I, I come in for 15 minutes and give you like three line reads of the various different things you have written down here and then I get to leave? I wonder if there's a, an overwhelming amount of statistical evidence that actors who start as actors on screen who then take a couple of voice jobs never leave the voice work industry after. <laughs> like, I imagine, uh, boy, it is so seductive to just <laughs> not have to deal with all of the things that uh, being on camera requires. I wonder. I mean, you definitely find that in people's IMDb profiles, right? Like, oh, this person did a lot of on screen and then now all they seem to do is video games and cartoons. I bet it's a lot easier when you're a known actor with a recognizable voice. I mean, one thing that I think is abundantly clear is that it is a different skill to be a great voice actor or even a competent voice actor than it is to be an actor on screen. And some people can't do it. I like, I don't know. There have been times when you and I have been asked to act over voice for projects and that shit is hard for sure i would uh, i would have a lot of misgivings about like trying to make it my career but like i don't know like we talked to um when we interviewed lavar burton one of the things we talked about was how having his eyes covered up for all those years on tng had really given him the ability to like use his voice in a way that like made it the kind of like the like first thing he considers in a role almost. And that was in the context of talking to him about his podcast, LeVar Burton reads. But I wonder if somebody like Kenneth Mitchell, who spends so much time covered in loaf, like behind a thick layer of rubber is kind of going through something similar where the, like you have to learn how to like get your emotional truth across 
through a a barrier and that puts you in a in a unique position to be good at voice work. Oh, and also we're going to fill your mouth with those fucking goo trays that the orthodontist <laughs> presses in to make impressions of your teeth. Like also you need to act through that. <laughs> it seems like an impossible challenge. We don't talk about it enough. No one talks about it enough. Like all yeah. of the Klingons are acting with teeth prosthetics in. Crazy. Yeah. Like totally crazy. We we sound unintelligible most of the time, and we have regular human teeth. <laughs> yeah, we don't have wharf mouth. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <Anyways. laughs> uh, we get a little bit of a back and forth, like the Boims Mariner Boims thing. Uh, they finally go back to Mariner for what to do in this situation, and it's. Uh, I mean, like everything else in this episode, it is. Uh, it is crossed lines. Uh, Freeman believes she's giving an order that Mariner interprets as firing the phasers at the Twirk ship, and that does not go over well. No. Also, her total lack of information does not go over well with Klar, who uh, like is basically incredulous at what a at what a half-assed bullshit story she's told him, and so he orders her to be placed. In the tank of contempt, she's like hefted up by a beam and dangled over this over this tank. And her her crewmates try and talk Clara out of of this. Boims like runs up to the to the horn and convinces him that maybe there's a misunderstanding afoot, and uh, he's going to have uh, Rutherford testify next to to see if we can resolve this, right? A man we now know is named Samanthan Rutherford. I always knew he was the Samanthan of Lower Decks. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've heard Eugene Cordero actually really hates all of his co-stars. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just a joke. I don't actually have any information about the relationship Eugene Cordero has with his co-stars. <laughs> um I, did we say that also the bridge crew are also suspended in a beam in this in this courtroom context? Oh, sure. I mean, we might have and we might not have, but we definitely did just now. Yeah. I'm just saying it because I know that if people didn't hear us say it, then they would send us tweets saying, why didn't you say it? Rutherford's testimony begins with him uh, in a hallway flipping switches and uh, and turning knobs when Shaxx uh, <laughs> and Billups confront him about the possibility of some manuals being stored in his prosthetic. Rutherford is very confused by it, but also is willing to see. And the way to do that involves the rebooting of, of his head appliance. It's one of those like full point updates on your system software where you update the system software, but then there's like a security patch and then you're printer driver has to update and then all your other software has to update so uh what we get from rutherford is a a kind of elliptical reboots right and and he's just got like he's just got a progress bar in his pov and every time that progress bar gets to the end his vision shuts down and he passes out so he got very little of the story of what happened to him. But uh, the first time he restarts, he wakes back up in like the belly of a, of some kind of ship on a Vulcan 
uh, planet. He and Shaxx and Billups are dressed in Vulcan robes with uh, with sp- like like Spock like. They've got headbands around their heads to obscure what's going on at the ends of their ears. But they're they're doing like a Mission Impossible Fallout style uh, airdrop into a museum. It's fun that. In Star Trek Four, Spock was using that headband to cover his ears for one reason, and these guys are doing it for the opposite reason. Yeah, I really like it. How about Vulcan Air and Space Museum, Adam? How exciting was this to see? I was a huge fan of it. I loved seeing all the deep background ships. Oh, so good. We got Previas, we've got D7s, we've got Ticks, we've got Ferengi shuttle pods. The Vulcan ship from First Contact is in there. Air and Space Museums really all look like they subscribe to an aesthetic, like the the glass windows, the atrium feeling, the suspension above and below of different uh, altitudes in the room. It's so great. And uh, there is a Romulan bird of prey of the original series design in here. And Shax is in the process of, like, hot-wiring it, and Rutherford has to distract a guard with a fan dance before he passes out again. He wakes up in a spacesuit in space, but standing on something. He pounds on that something, and it turns out to be the cloaked Romulan ship. (laughs) Do you think that Lower Decks and Picard are talking to each other at all? about their stories, because I thought it was interesting that this type of ship was such a factor in both seasons, you know? Like, they they each got their episode or two. Yeah. The amount of referentiality in Lower Decks is so high. I think yeah. it's interesting that there hasn't been that much Star Trek Picard or Discovery stuff, but I guess, I guess this is happening, like, if... Star Trek Picard is post the destruction of Romulus. This this is happening in a pre-destruction of Romulus timeline. Yeah. And I guess Discovery is also secret, right? So so yeah, like I guess they can't really reference either of uh, of the new shows if they're going to if they're going to be really strictly canonical. Yeah, all the references are going to be incidental or accidental. Like I believe this one was, but I just think it's interesting like of all the ships. Yeah, totally. Billups is almost dead from running out of air, and it's Rutherford that uh, takes him into his loving arms and runs him into the shuttle that Shax is waiting for them inside. And they make it inside before uh, Billups passes out, uh, but it's Rutherford that passes out in this scene, and <laughs> in so doing, hits his head on the controls, taking the shuttle to warp. He comes to, again, uh, on a Gorn planet, they've they've crashed the ship in very close proximity to a Gorn wedding. Like the ship is smoking and burning in the background, but the Gorns have decided to proceed with the ceremony despite this. But then, on noticing Rutherford is there, uh, attack him. I thought this was very funny. Clar, like a podcast listener hearing us go on a tangent is like, I don't want to hear about <laughs> the Gorn wedding. I want to hear about that bird of prey that was just in your story. Tell me about the bird of prey. And I'm like, let's hear more about that crazy Ivan from earlier. Why don't we talk more about that? Right. 
did somebody on the insect ship say Consonar Crazy Ivan? If so, I would have liked to see that. For this tangent, uh, and for our many tangents, I'm sure we will eventually be held up above the eel tank. <laughs> uh, there goes Rutherford. Uh, thus clearing the way for Tendi to testify. I feel like every testimony gets its own style. Like, very clearly, like the Rutherford reboots was a very fun aspect to that. Tendi gets uh, verbal redactions in her flashback, and they are super fun because the redactions move around on on top of the words they're intending to obscure so sometimes yeah. they're they're covering the entire word sometimes they're covering up the the uc in the word fuck and then sometimes <laughs> they've missed the word entirely <laughs> and are not obscuring the word or the intention at all that is like a running joke for her and her yeah. and her flashback that i really loved lock and load we're p- for life God, I thought the redacted memory was a funny idea, but the way it was executed, like, was 10 out of 10. Um, Tendi is very afraid to testify in this context because she's been sworn to secrecy about this stuff. You might say she's a chicken Tendi. Nice. <laughs> Before we leave it behind, I just want to say that... I think it is emblematic of a show really trying to be great when you don't just stop at the first draft of a joke that goes yeah. like, let's cover up the words uh, and that'll be frustrating and funny. Like there's a moment in the room where someone goes, how do we make that funnier than just right. the first version? And I love yeah. that this show is not just stopping at the level one of comedy they're trying to like complexify it it's a game that heightens throughout tendy's entire story and her story is about getting the job of cleaning the conference room which involves a lot of like running a lint roller over dr katz's chair Mm -hmm. but uh eventually means she she's like the cleaner misassociated with some kind of the wolf style character <laughs> and uh, she goes on a a special ops mission with commander ransom and a handful of big muscly dudes from the ship whose names have all been redacted i love the different types of aliens you get on this team you get a human and andorian and a terry cruz they are going like deep behind enemy lines they go to romulus they liberate the package which is a casket sized box and tendy actually like kicks a ton of ass she she martial arts like a dozen romulan guards and uh really impresses the hell out of commander ransom in the process Rutherford has wanted Tendi to liberate his package for a long time. <laughs> Doesn't look like it's going to happen. He's kind of too much of a fuck up. He's got to be so pent up, right? Like he yeah. lives in a bunk bed in a room with dozens of other people. You know what? I bet he could blast in the eel tank without anyone noticing. <laughs> <laughs> Those eels. Oh my God. Imagine swimming around in that. Yeah. Oh, wriggly <laughs> and smooth. 
Kendi's story, again, super unsatisfying because she cannot speak to what the package was and refuses to give any context to uh, to clarify like what the mission was about. Clark is, is dissatisfied, and uh, he, he hoists her up over the tank and drops her and Mariner and Rutherford into the tank. If there's a moment of subtlety in the whole thing, it's it's Clar's terminology when asking his questions. I think this is maybe the second example of him telegraphing what he's really after because because in this scene I feel like the way he asks for what he wants could be interpreted in a couple of ways. Like he's he's wanting to know what was in the package and what the bridge crew did. He keeps hammering that in a way that is up for interpretation. And when you're on the other end of the spotlight, hearing the the bangs and you're suspended over the eels, you're going to yeah. see things in a way that you're not if, you are, uh, if you're the bridge crew and you can actually see the cake candles and streamers on the wall behind you. <laughs> Boimler testifies to how little the lower decks knows about everything that happens. Yeah, he's pissed. And how no one in command is perfect. There are a couple of examples uh, that we get here, Q being one of them, as just a disruptive force that makes Starfleets look stupid. There's Ransom hitting on a salt vampire in, in the bar area. And then there's Dr. Katz thinking that they're in a parallel dimension when really they've just wandered onto a similar looking ship. <laughs> yeah, I loved that the all of the uh, doppelganger crew of the USS Alhambra are all voiced, I think, by the people who voiced their doppelgangers on the Cerritos. But uh, I, I really wished that the USS Alhambra had had one super hunky police detective. <laughs> oh, yeah. That would have been the, the ultimate nod to our to our work, Adam. That's a personal callback you're making. I'll take a crazy Ivan, but uh, hunky, oh, yeah. hunky police detective on the USS Alhambra. That, yeah. that would have done it. Yeah, that is, that's some kind of bust right there. <laughs> I don't know if I'm being smart or this is super obvious, Ben, so I want to run this by you. When Boyms is testifying and Clar is, uh, is prosecuting him, asking the questions... This really felt to me like Star Trek talking to its fans because Klar seems to be taking the position of needing Boims to tell him what he thinks is true. Like, Klar has an idea. I need you to confirm my idea. And Boims is defending what he's saying by going, we don't always know what's going on. We're just doing our best with good intentions. I felt like they were saying one thing, but they were meaning a couple of things. Yeah. That's interesting you say that. I I went down a like a doom scrolling Twitter hole today, uh, looking at uh, accounts that seem to have been purposely set up to talk about how bad new Star Trek shows are. Mm-hmm. And you're never like more than one click away from somebody talking about MAGA when mm-hmm. you when you look at accounts like that. It's very Gamergate. It's very, why did you make a woman of color the star of something? Like they're angry about shit. 
and never seem like seem to have grown up loving Star Trek, but never absorbed the messages of Star Trek. Those accounts seem to be on this, like, I can't believe Lower Decks is just this mean-spirited takedown of all the things we like about Star Trek, which was wild to me because I I think the thing I've been enjoying most about the show is how much heart it has and how much of a love letter to Star Trek it is. Right. So I guess in some ways that kind of confirms your theory, but it also complicates it because I don't know how you know to refute that line of assholery when you're writing a a season for a show that isn't out yet, you know? I think it's being realistic. And I think it's seeing what happened to Discovery when it launched and knowing that if you're about to put a new show out into the world, there's going to be a faction that feels a kind of way no matter what you've made. Right. I think it's impossible for any of these new shows to actually put fan culture on trial. I think one very elegant way that it does that here is that like it makes the case that that the omniscience of fans that don't believe Star Trek knows enough about itself is worth refuting. But it's also got heart in the way it does that, right? Like yeah. like like Clar is not irredeemable in that sense. And I think that that's the thing that's most amazing to, about it to me because I have such a hard time getting to where Gamergate people are at mm-hmm. that it's like it's not even worth debating them because they're just like they're just creeps, you know. Right, but the but like the the molten center of of that of that energy frequently seems to be the sense that I know more about the thing than you do. And I and I always will. And and I have taken on a grieved fan as an identity like I'm a grieved fan guy on the internet and that is like a hobby almost. That's what made Boims's uh, refutation stick out so much to me because like his point is that we're Starfleet we don't always know what's going on we're we're doing the very best we can yeah we're we're the good guys and we're trying we're not trying to ruin things I love lawyer Boims you have shown no evidence that they're guilty of a crime in fact I find you guilty of trying to take them down with this sham of a trial Magistrate Clark was just trying to throw himself a a cool party in a, in a party silo. All of the people that are there were like attendees of one kind or another. He's run out of his twenty two minutes though. This was this was it. It sucks when there's people waiting outside the conference room, but you yeah. really do have to go. Mariner remains outraged, and um, you know I think that uh, I would be outraged too if I'd like found myself in a thing that I thought was a trial. Without without being given any context, um, I'd be outraged for for being wet far from home the way <laughs> the way Mariner is with that eel juice. Yeah, fortunately, Captain Freeman and the rest of the senior staff see that they did not know what was happening to them, and therefore rather heroically defended Starfleet despite their their misunderstanding of the situation that they were in. So they get they get a little like tepid round of applause from the senior staff and a commitment that the upper decks are going to try and keep the lower decks a little bit more in the loop about uh, things going forward. The lower decks gang pivots right into podcast here by uh, <laughs> asking a bunch of podcast hosting questions like, why didn't you do this? And why can't you explain that? 
Uh, they yeah. start their first episode in this scene, and mm-hmm. it's going to be a great big hit. Much like the podcast, they even give Captain Freeman a jokey new name, Captain Clarity. Mm. And uh, I think the the button on the episode is them walking back to the bunk bed level, talking about their experience when Q shows up in his uh, judgment throne and his judge outfit and uh, tries to rope them into a, a Q scheme and Mariner is just like, we're too fucking tired. We're not doing random bullshit today. It really made me think about what a mistake it was for Picard to ever play. Like the the way you defeat Q, it's just like how you defeat Whopper in war games. The The best move you can make against Q is not to play his game. No one ever tried that in TNG. <laughs> Q is, at the end of the day, thermonuclear war. I mean, Cisco came as close as you could get. He didn't play and he also punched him in the face. That's what you do. Yeah. Cisco, smarter than Picard, canonically. Yeah. But yeah. canonically, Adam... Did you like this episode? Yeah, I, I think there was a ton to like about it. I, we, You and I talked about this in the last episode. We were primed for something spectacular here. Yeah. Uh, I really like the nonlinear storytelling of an episode like this, especially when given the constraints of, what, 22 minutes, 26 minutes? They told a lot of stories. This is so often... Star Trek and TV in general can really get behind the curve on how much story and how much bag. And this is a this is like a bag full of mercury. Like it is so dense, so perfectly packed into all of the minutes here that I really appreciated what they were able to pull off. I liked it a lot. I did too. Uh, we talked a lot on the last episode about hoping that the show could find a way out of the ship is being destroyed around us Mm storylines. And this is a great example of a totally unique, like it almost felt like the Chinese restaurant episode of Seinfeld, you know, where it's Mm -hmm. like, like let's get all the way outside of our comfort zone for most of the episode. And, um, and I love, I love that kind of writing because it, you know, there's not really a safety net there. And I think uh, I think it's a great episode. I loved all of the guest voices. I loved hearing Kurtwood Smith, um, Ben Rogers, who is one of the co-hosts of Action Boys podcast, a uh, a show a show that I uh, have listened to a few episodes of. I'm I'm not a Patreon subscriber yet. I would say I think he's also in the writers' room on this show, but he did a voice, and uh, of course. Of course, John Delancey, like bringing back Q, something we talked about a lot with Star Trek Picard, like whether they would dip into that. I think it's so much better done in Lower Decks than it could be anywhere else. Agreed. Yeah. They seem to have gotten the mixture right on this show and in this episode specifically in terms of uh, its self-referential interests and like... Even the nostalgia runner that we get early on seems seems tidy and clipped and short. Like, yeah, I think they're being more judicious about that as the shows go on. Well, Adam, do you want to see if we get the mixture right in our P1 inbox? That is not up to us, Ben. <laughs> Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Our first 
Priority One message is of a promotional nature, Adam. And it goes like this. Nothing to promote, but given that you've been the other voices in my head throughout COVID, a personal P1 just didn't seem up to the task of conveying my thanks for the relief you've provided from our global pandemic and truly loathsome American gull. Since finding you five months ago, you are all I've listened to. God help me. Wow. And I'm now caught up with every single episode of Greatest Gen and Greatest Discovery. And OMG, it is so embarrassing when your podcast auto starts in the family car. Thank you. <laughs> wow. Man, somebody, somebody took the way above the FDA recommended daily dose of Greatest Gen and Greatest Discovery. And uh, their call to action is Holy Double Klingon Dicks Thank you so much That's amazing Uh, This person does not leave their name But thank you for being so kind And for uh, Doubling your support of the show By pivoting to Promotional P1 Uh, Unnecessarily (laughs) Good job A mighty kind thing to do We really appreciate it Then our second priority one message is of a personal nature. It's from Maria. It's for Mark. The message goes like this. Happy birthday to my dear husband, Mark, from your Imzadi. We've had a great time on our continuing mission to explore strange new worlds and seeking out new life. Namely, our beautiful daughter, Irina. I look forward to boldly going into the future with you. Love you. That is super sweet. Yeah. I feel like, feel like Mark is a, a very lucky father and husband. You know what? If you've got a relationship that hasn't been reduced to ashes by the <laughs> by the quarantine and everything else, uh, yeah. good job by you. And I'm very happy for Mark and Maria for uh, for holding on tight to each other and uh, yeah, to their rules. beautiful daughter. That's rad. Well, if you would like to... Send a priority one message of a personal or promotional nature. Head to maximumfun.org slash jumbotron. We sure appreciate it. Thanks. I have tried so many meal services over the years. After all, I am a podcast host. And I got to tell you, Factor Meals is my favorite. Why? Because I can go from what am I going to have for dinner to eating a great dinner in exactly two minutes with Factor Meals. And don't sleep on their smoothies either. I got six of these in the box this week. Mango, tropical fruit, strawberry or banana. They're all amazing. They're like meal supplements I can enjoy while I'm on the go. Head to factormeals.com trek50 and use the code trek50 to get 50% off. Again, that's the code trek50 at factormeals.com trek50 to get 50% off. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. 
They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself an Edward Larkin? Yes, I did. Uh, I'm going to give it to Klar. I just think uh, I, I think I agree with Mariner on this one. Both burners and eels seems like it seems like it's both redundant and counterproductive because if you cook your eels, I mean, then what? You know? Yeah, I mean, I've been watching a lot of cooking shows. They're kind of the thing that I watch to uh, wind down and fall asleep. I kind of uh, I'll turn it on the create channel. Yeah. And then I'll turn on the sleep timer for like a half an hour. What are you rocking? A Simply Ming? A uh, a uh, barbecue f- with Franklin? America's Test Kitchen? Cook's Country? A Stephen Reichlin? There's a lot of Test Kitchen content on the Create yeah. channel, especially late at night. I like that a lot. <laughs> uh, yeah, all of the above. What I do, and, and uh, to a show, every single show has an eel episode. Uh <laughs> I think I think when I watch uh, Bridget Lancaster fill up a tank with eels, uh, she'll tell you she'll tell you ignite the torches below, get that mm. water up to a rolling boil, especially if you've got people floating at the surface. And then Julia Colin Davidson will address the camera suddenly and tell you about the science of why you're cooking the eels. Yeah, and then they'll cut to like an extremely low rent. After Effects graphic of the, like, protein structure denaturing. I'd fucking kill for After Effects graphics like that in my corporate videos back in the day. Like, <laughs> I, God, wasn't that all, was that everything for you? Like, like, the story's locked. You wrote a good one. You got all the footage. 
the idea that you're going to throw to graphic is there. You haven't quite yeah. figured out how you're going to do it, but God, that's always the speed bump. So many times I bit off more than I can chew yeah. graphically. <laughs> yep. You know, the rule, Ben, is that it's, it's always Mariner unless it's not. But here's the thing. Back in the TNG days, it was always Q unless it wasn't. Oh, shit. It's Q. Wow. Q's obviously having the most fun here. Yeah. And this means that there are like multiple times Q has visited the Cerritos, right? Cause, yeah. Because that was a flashback within a flashback right. that first time he pops up. He's a constant pain in their asses. Yeah. I mean, why wouldn't he be a constant pain in everyone's asses? You know, he can be, he can be everywhere all at once. He's Peck's bad boy, Ben. We've, we've always <laughs> said that. <laughs> I mean... I always thought that about Nog personally, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good Larkin, Adam. Yeah. Well, one thing we've always said at the end of an episode is uh, there will be another episode. What's it going to be? Only two more Lower Decks episodes before we switch over to Disco Season 3. But the next episode of Lower Decks looks like it uh, is a holodeck episode. There's a holo program that they sort of re retool as holodeck the movie. Uh, I saw a lot of uh, anamorphic lens flares yeah. in the holodeck the movie situation. So it looks like they're going to be having a little bit of fun with the work of one J.J. Abrams. And uh, I'm here for it. Yeah, me too. Give me that episode nine. <laughs> Stick it in my veins. It's, uh, it's what's keeping me going. I'm loving this show. Yeah. It's, it's dependably fun. When Star Trek 2009 came out, I, I happened to uh, swing by my old job at my film school where they always had free copies of American Cinematographer magazine. Ooh, that is nice to get for free. There was an article about Star Trek 2009 in there, and there was a like a behind-the-scenes photograph of J.J. Abrams and the cinematographer of that in some desert in... Arizona or something and they're both looking through the like director's eyepiece and the caption was like J.J. Abrams and his cinematographer looking high and low for places to find more lens flares <laughs> <laughs> and I loved that the caption writer for American Cinematographer like even had a little bit of fun with how many lens flares there were in that film. That's awesome. Yeah. Good times. I haven't read that magazine in a long time. To pick one yeah. Up. I miss that magazine. Yeah. But uh, I, will, I, will, I will only miss The Greatest Discovery until next Tuesday when our next episode comes out. In the meantime, I think we should leave it with our beloved producer, editor, Rob, 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 Robs. The Greatest Discovery is a maximum fun podcast hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. The show is produced by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by Adam Ragusia. Check out his YouTube page. He has some amazing recipes there that you can try yourself at home. If you're looking for more Trek, check out some of our other episodes. We like to look at everything new in the Star Trek world, but we also look at some of the classics as well. Don't forget, you can now follow us on Twitter and Instagram under the handles Greatest Trek. That account is run by the great Bill Tilly. Thanks, Bill. We really appreciate it. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next week with another episode of The Greatest Discovery. 
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.